Good morning, Infused Church. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Rob Williams, and I am so glad to be able to share the message with you guys today. A little bit about me. Um, I'm just a small town pastor up in Charles City, Iowa, that got his start around the same time your pastor, Taylor Getting, did. And uh, he's asked me to preach with for you guys before, only this time, uh, and, and today I'm doing it again, but only this time I get to do it from my very own living room couch, which is one of the advantages of doing digital ministry. And man, I just, I hope today. Today, uh, the message blesses all of you, and I hope you're as excited about it um, as I am to be able to share it with you. So God bless you guys. We love you guys, and uh, man, I hope that you can connect with uh, exactly what God's laid on my heart for you today, okay? So I want to start off with a really good question, uh, and, and it's kind of a funny one, okay? Have you ever been so bored that it drove you to do something completely stupid? I mean, come on, let's be honest with ourselves here, okay? Have you ever been so bored that it drove you to do something completely stupid? Or, or maybe not necessarily stupid, but something a little crazy. I, I don't think it happens as often as it used to because very few of us have time to be bored in the busy culture we live in today. But back in 1982, a man named Larry Walters got bored one day and it drove him to do something pretty crazy and some would say even stupid uh, himself, okay? On a hot summer's day in Southern California, Larry got bored, and while sitting around drinking beer with a bunch of his friends, Larry got a great idea. Because we all know that's when great ideas happen, right? <laughs> when we're drinking beer with our friends. So Larry and his friends eventually went to an army surplus store, because we all know that that's the place to get supplies for all of our great ideas, right? Army surplus stores, okay? And Larry and his friends went to an army surplus store and purchased 75 large weather balloons, along with a bunch of rope. Larry and his friends would then take those large weather balloons home, fill them with helium, and strap them to Larry's lawn chair, along with Larry himself. I, I, I can tell. You're, you're getting it. You can see where this great idea is going, right? Straight up into the air with Larry in tow. Not long after this great idea was being executed by Larry and his friends, the pilot of a 737 aircraft would report an unidentified flying object to flight control at the Los Angeles airport. The airplane pilot was recorded in his flight control in his report to flight control. So let just allow me to imitate this for a second, okay? Uh, flight control. Well, I uh, I see what looks like a perfectly still man in a is it a lawn chair? And I think he's holding a rifle. The aircraft was at 16,000 feet when he spotted Larry. As the story goes, Larry had ascended into the air much sooner and much faster than he had, he had anticipated. And as he and his buddies prepared to launch, the tether holding Larry to the ground broke prematurely. His friends testified that Larry shot up into the sky so quickly that it looked like he was shot out of a cannon as he ascended at the, at the rate of about a thousand feet per minute. It's rumored, not really confirmed though, that Larry even passed out around the 2,000 foot mark. He would later wake up, scared and panicked. Some accounts of the story say he couldn't help but sit in his chair, stiff as a board, for about 30, the first 30 minutes of his flight. The good news was that at the time of the premature launch, Larry was equipped with the essentials. A peanut butter sandwich, a BB gun to shoot out the balloons when he was ready to make his descent, and a six-pack of beer. You guessed it. Finally, about 45 minutes later, Larry got up the courage to let go of the chair that he might begin shooting the balloons to make his descent. 
By this time, all of the flights at LAX had been redirected, costing airline companies thousands and thousands of dollars. And once emergency officials were able to spot him, they followed his descent to meet him on the ground after he took out a few power lines on the way down, miraculously surviving this ridiculous flight. That day, the now famous Lawn Chair Larry would be arrested, and just before officials placed him in the back of a police car, a reporter asked him why he had done it. Like, why did you do this, Larry? The reporter asked. Larry's, Larry's response? Well, you know, a man can't just sit around. You know, as I think about the church and all that God's called us to, I worry that so many of us are just sitting around bored, wondering if there's more to what God's called us to than what we're currently doing. I worry that too many of us aren't living out our full potential as followers of Jesus Christ. I, I worry that too many of us haven't been unleashed or untethered to go reach the heights that we can go with God in our midst. Honestly, I, I, I think many of us have taken this idea of church and placed it inside this little box. Church is a Sunday thing, and, and churches all across the U.S. have created this, these incredible gatherings with light shows and awesome music and great communicators and programs galore for you, your kids, and your grandkids. And we've done all these things that we can to, to pack out the buildings with Christians that have become consumers rather than people living in self-denial for a greater purpose. And now, and now, more than ever, all of that has been stripped back, and we're left bored. We're left asking well, now what do we do? We're left sitting around. And, and sharing our faith, well, we live in North America, and part of our North American culture frowns on talking about religion, and we wouldn't want to offend our friends or family. So instead of getting out of our comfort zone and, build, and building relationships that we might be able to share the gospel with people in a trustworthy manner, we've just decided that that's the pastor's job. And we're left with empty churches that, that used to be full of people that were proverbially sitting around bored, doing not, almost nothing significant as it pertains to God's greater purpose for his people in this world. And, and now we have people sitting in homes wondering what to do with their faith. If we could just add to the Sunday morning gathering, if we could just collect all the people and the resources back into one place like it was before, if we could just get them back to our big gun preachers and pastors and teachers, then we'll be able to get them to Jesus. But, but once again, that, that's all been stripped back now, and we don't know when we're going to get that back. But honestly, even before this whole COVID-19 mess came about, this is where the problem lied. Because when you look throughout the Bible, you come to find that God is not a God that collects. He's not a God that simply draws people to gather. Don't get me wrong, the, the writer of Hebrews says that we should never give up meeting together. The, the gathering is important. Sunday morning meetings are important, but, but there's way more to our faith than just that. I mean, come on, don't you think that God called us more to, to more than just songs and sermons on Sundays? You see, God's not just a God that gathers. He's also a God that sends. Right from the beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 2, God called humanity to be fruitful and multiply. Then, as, then if you move 10 chapters later, in Genesis 12, we see God blessing a man named Abraham who would be known as the father of the nation of Israel. And as he blesses him, he says that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, through Abraham. 
Even as David proclaims the glory of God in the Psalms, in Psalm 67, we see him declare that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. That was David's motive. And finally, finally we see Jesus. Do you remember, do you remember what Jesus' first words were to the disciples? His first words to the disciples were, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus spent his ministry teaching the disciples and sending the disciples to minister to people, to love people, and to spread the gospel of hope as they went from town to town and village to village. And then we see the culmination of our God who sends in John 20. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to go ahead and turn there now. John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have an app for that, I'd encourage you to download an awesome app on your smartphone or tablet called Version. That's Y-O-U version. I like to call it my social media Bible app. I think every Christian should have this app on their phone. And, and, and it's on this app that you can, not, not only can you just read scripture in just about every English translation, but it's also a place where you can find devotional plans and content and you can even share scripture with others. But like I said, we'll be in John chapter 20 and we're going to be picking things up in verse 19. But just before we get to this chapter, we see that Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, unjustly tried by the Pharisees, and executed by the Romans. And leading up to this point in the chapter, according to John, Jesus has now risen from the grave and revealed himself to only a few people. And he's about to reveal himself again. Let's just read this together. John chapter 20, and we're going to pick things up in verse 19. This is what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, here it is, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus sends them. The end cap of his first mission here on earth was to send the disciples out under the power of the Spirit. But then, I don't think that mission was just for them. It's for all of us. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. God's intentions and purposes have always been for every one of us to be used as vessels for the hope of the gospel. The problem is that too many of us think that think of the church as the wrong kind of ship. Let me tell you what I mean. You see, some of us think of the church like a cruise liner ship, okay? We think the church is simply here to offer us goods and services for the whole family, like sports and entertainment, childcare services, and business networking. Those of us that think of the church like a cruise liner show up to, to, to gatherings asking questions like, well, can this church really improve my religious quality of life? Does it have a good family ministry? Does the pastor preach funny and time-conscious messages that meet my needs? Do I like the music? How, how's the children's department? And if at any point the church we're attending stops answering these questions as we'd like them to, then we just stop going. Or worse yet, we'll just go find another. But then there are those of us that also look at the church like a battleship. 
right? You may not look like a, look at it like a cruise liner, but rather a battleship. And, and you're on the other end of the spectrum. The church is made for the mission, and its success should be seen in how loudly and dramatically it fights for that mission. This is definitely not better than the, this is definitely a lot better than the cruise liner. However, it implies that, that, that it is the inst- church institution that does most of the fighting. The role of the church members is to pay the pastors to find the big targets and fire the big guns each week as they gather to watch. They see the programs, services, and ministries of the church as the primary instruments of the mission. And herein lies the problem. Because neither of these ships are what God intended the church to be. Do you understand that? As we see throughout scripture in Jesus' ministry in the early church, God is, is a sending God who sent his son that he might send us. Let me say that again, that he might send us. That he might send you in the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission to make disciples of all nations. Might I suggest that we start looking at the church like a third kind of ship? Let me ask you this. What if, what if we started to look at the church like an aircraft carrier? Like battleships, aircraft carriers engage in battle, but not in the same way. Aircraft carriers uh, equip planes to carry the battle elsewhere. When you are an aircraft carrier, the goal is to keep the battle as far away from the ship as possible. You load up the planes and carry the battle to the enemy. When you look at the church like an aircraft carrier, instead of a cruise liner or battleship, it's no longer becomes about programs or trained pastors or sending in the big guns. It no longer becomes about awesome music or crazy light shows or, or highlight level, high, high level communicators. Instead, the church becomes about relationships. Instead, the church becomes about every person being bought into the mission. Instead, the church is about sending out as many as we can rather than gathering as many people as we can. Instead, the church is about something that is so much greater than just one pastor or one group of leaders or even just one church. This kind of church is the kind of church that our country needs during a time like this. And instead of adding to our numbers, we have the capability to multiply our numbers. I mean, let me just break this down for you. If you had a choice of receiving $10,000 a day for 30 days or getting a penny that doubled each day over those 30 days, which would you choose? Which would you choose? If you were younger, it might be tempting to pick the $10,000 for a, a, a day for 30 days. I, I know if I was younger, that would have been probably been my answer. Even as an adult, that's still tempting. It, it, I mean, if you add up all that money, $10,000 a day for 30 days, you've got $300,000 by the end of the 30 days. I mean, that's a lot of dough. But now that we are adults and we've listened to a little bit of what our math teachers taught us, we know that multiplication is always better than addition. And if you do the math, you come to realize that that one penny doubled each day over the course of 30 days ends up becoming $10,737,418.23. Multiplication beats addition every time. When you become a church that is like an aircraft carrier, you step into multiplication. Do you hear me this morning, Infuse? Do you hear me? 
allow me to share some more statistics with you. According to LifeWay Research Study, in the next seven years, over 55,000 churches in the United States will close their doors. And the number of those who attend church on a weekend in the United States will drop from 17% to just 14%. Only 20% of churches in the U.S. are growing and only 1% are growing by reaching lost people. That means 95% of the global church growth we celebrate merely shuffles existing Christians around from one church to another. That's a heartbreaking statistic. Let me share an even more heartbreaking statistic for you. One that hit me hard when I looked it up for my own county. According to a recent survey taken, um, according to a recent survey taken, more than 84,000 people in Johnson County, the county in which you reside, more than 84,000 people don't claim to have a relationship with God at all, let alone Jesus. All right, now let me, let me challenge you with some big questions for a minute, and I really want you to think about this. As we look at all the statistics, and if, as we're a little overwhelmed by them probably, let me ask you this. What would happen if infused church became a church that multiplied rather than just added to its numbers? What if, what if we didn't just look to grow our local churches, but we look to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches? What if infused church changed the scorecard and didn't just think about how many people you could get to come to infuse or to attend your online services, but started keeping track of how many people you were sending out? All right, let me back off a bit. What if every one of us took the mission of making disciples that makes disciples so seriously that it kept us up at night. The fact that there are thousands in our communities that have no relationship with Jesus. Not just infused church, I'm talking about the church global. All throughout Jesus' ministry, people questioned who he was. Some said he was a prophet, others said he was a heretic, while others simply saw him as a religious zealot. But at one point, Jesus asked the disciples who they thought he was. And one of the disciples, Peter, who was known for being uh, bold immediately, known for being bold, he immediately answered this. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus' Jesus's response was so powerful. Just listen to what he said. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the, my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Do you know what gates are? Gates are a defense mechanism. They're used to keep things out. They're, they're used to hold something back. They're, they're, they're meant as a refuge against attack. Meaning that with the Holy Spirit of God in us, with the power of God in us as the church, nothing can hold us back if we're just willing to mobilize our forces. Every Christian is a sent Christian. Do you hear me this morning in Fuse? There's no such thing as an unsent one. And if, if you'll allow me to drop some even heavier truth on you, I'll quote Charles Spurgeon, okay? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. J. 
J.D. Greer said it this way. He writes, the word missionary is not used in the Bible, not even once. That's because all of God's people are sent. All of God's people are commanded to go. There's no special class of sent ones. So the question is no longer if we are sent, only where and how. Many of us are waiting on a voice from heaven to tell us what God has already told us in a verse. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. When you have the verse, you don't need to wait for the voice. Do you hear me this morning? Listen. If infused church wants to prevail against the gates of hell, you must learn to see the church as an aircraft carrier. Not a battleship and certainly not a cruise liner. Pastor Taylor and Stephanie and the leadership here at Infused Church are not the only ones called to reach the lost for Christ. And the gospel we carry, the gospel that you carry, is not just a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternity. And just as Jesus declared Peter's confession as the rock on which he would build his church, God is sending you to confess to the world that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of your life, the Savior of the world. He wants to use you to build his kingdom and to be a light to Tiffin, Johnson County, your little piece of Iowa in the world. So this is my challenge for you today. My challenge for you is to start small as we continue to navigate this COVID-19 pandemic. It's no secret. Churches right now are doing the best they can to try and continue to reach people for Christ. But the fact of the matter is a lot of churches are struggling at this time to figure out a way to reach people in the midst of this pandemic. It's hard to, 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 to convince people of who Jesus is when you can't be in relationship with them and you can't have proximity with them. But here's the deal. If we can awaken the church... If we can awaken the church, even in the smallest way, to step into the mission to make disciples, and you'll be shocked at how much more the church can take off and explode despite the midst of the mess that we're in. So let me just challenge you with something small today. I want to challenge you to ask this one question. Who is your one? Who's your one? Who's that one person in your life that you know doesn't know Jesus that you could just do anything for? Okay, and, and I've got three rules as it pertains to your one. Who's that one person that doesn't know Jesus that you need to, to introduce to them? Okay, now I know this is kind of intimidating, but don't believe this lie that, that to lead someone to Jesus means you have to know everything. That's not the truth. The, 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 to lead someone to Jesus is, just means that, hey, I'm walking towards Jesus. Do you want to come and join me? We'll walk towards Jesus together. It's not about a bunch of knowledge. It's about just getting to know someone, building a relationship with them, and sharing that with them your experience. Okay, but who's that one that's local to you, that you're doing life with, and that you're willing to drop everything for, okay? And, and, and those, those are three really important rules. They have to be local. They have to be local because the reality is God's placed us in the areas that we are at so that we can be able to reach the people that are in our communities and, are in, and within our proximity. So they have to be local. You have to be able to do life with them. You have to be willing to do life regularly with them. You have to be intentional about doing life regularly with them so that you can build a relationship with them. And not only that, you have to be willing to drop everything for them. Many of us who are following Jesus have, some that, have, that, have that one person in our life who led us to Christ because they made us their one and they did everything they could to do life with us 
and to drop everything for us that we might not might come to know Jesus. And so this morning in Fuse Church, who's your one? Begin asking that question. Begin realizing that you are a sent church, that you're not just called to gather, but you're called to go. I want to end this morning with this quote from J.D. Greer. He said, long-term movements are not built on swelling crowds. Even when Jesus is the one doing the gathering, they come only as we take time to replicate our faith in someone else's heart. Let me give you one more. Church is not a, is not a place to recruit people to, but a place to unleash people from. Infused church, God wants to unleash you to reach the people in your community for Christ. What are you willing to do to be sent? Are you willing to ask the right questions? Are you willing to do the right things? Are you willing to step out in faith and courage? Because I know something like this takes a lot of courage. That more might come to know Jesus on behalf of you. I can't wait to see or hear what God does through all of you as you continue to pursue Johnson County and the place that God's called you to be. Uh, let me pray for you. And uh, man, I cannot, I cannot emphasize enough that you just continue to ask, who is my one? Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be able to join this church uh, this morning and just uh, uh, step into exactly what your word calls us to, Lord. And I pray that um, this message uh, empowers, impassions, and, and inspires the people at Infused Church to reach as many as they can for Jesus Christ, Lord. You've got so much that you want to do in that county. You've got so much that you want to do for them, Lord. And, and right now, God, I just, I want to pray what I pray over my kids so regularly every night before uh, they go to bed, Lord. God, you have an amazing plan for Infused Church. Don't let them miss it. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.